Man, it's so good to see you. Look at this good crowd on a Sunday night. And um, David must have done a good job last week because, do you see the crowd we had this morning? It was exciting. I'm excited about what God is doing here. And if, um, you know, we've had so many families join and we've not really had folks move away. So, um, you know, as everybody gets through all this COVID stuff, and I'm just expecting really large crowds. It's, it's exciting. I'm just amazed at what God is doing. And it's just wonderful to study the Bible with you all. And when I, when I preach in other places, I have to set up so much stuff. But you guys are so grounded in the Word through discipleship, through your own study, this is just a, it's a really fun place to preach and teach. And I'm excited that Brandon gets to preach next week and going to Ireland. Now, isn't he going to Ireland like this week, there and back? Okay, so he's going to, they're doing a four-day trip to Ireland. Doesn't that sound horrible? And so they have to go over to set up a building for the church and all of those things. They're just really, really exciting about what's going on there. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and Psalm 82. John 10 and Psalms 82. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for the laborers, and all of the work that goes into what happens here. But none of it would be possible without your grace. So thank you so much. Thank you for the men that fill the pulpit. Lord, thank you that you brought preachers here. And uh, Lord, as we study your word tonight, I pray that, uh, that we just get some good insight into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are thankful that the, that the scripture cannot be broken? That good? We have our hope. So let's go back there. John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those, those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God... Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. And if, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. So this... It is interesting. Now, remember, Jesus Christ has said to these people before, you are of your father, the devil. You're of your father, the devil, and his works you do. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's tying that together with these sons of God, with these sons of God in the text. Now, why is it that commentators, they, they, they really do diminish Psalm 82, and they kind of ignore it And when it's a direct cross-reference to this passage. Well, let me show you what, what happens with that. Go with me to 
Exodus chapter 22. And look at verse 28. So Moses is installing judges and giving the law, of course. So in verse 28, he says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Look at Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. So, what do we do with that? So here we have Moses. God is saying that he's made him a god to Pharaoh. Well, why would Pharaoh think that Moses was a god? Because he was speaking for the one true God who Pharaoh didn't know and didn't want to know. But he was a polytheist who had many gods. And so Moses comes in doing these miracles and he thinks he's a god. But did Moses actually do those miracles? Well, no, of course not. But to him, he had made Pharaoh, to to Pharaoh, he had made Moses a god. So because of that... And because of, in, in calling these judges gods over the people, that's the cross-reference that people will use in Matthew chapter 10 to say that what Jesus was condemning these men for was that they were bad judges, that they were not ruling the people well. And I, I think that that's fair. I think he was saying that, but I also think that there's something much deeper to it than just that. Remember the illustration I always use is if somebody said, uh, have you heard of Michael Jordan? Yes, he could really dribble. Well, that doesn't quite cover it, does it? And so that's exactly the way it is with a text like this. And so now let's go to, to Psalm, the 82nd Psalm, and let's, let's just dig into it. I told you I was going to preach it tonight, and I ended up preaching most of it this morning. So, uh, but, but let's look at this. I'm going to point some more things out to you. Psalm 82. Verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Now, for those of us who have studied the Bible, we we know that when you see that word selah, well, you have to go immediately to the kingdom. That when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his his millennial rest, that every time you see the word selah in your Bible, it has something to do with that. Every time, every time. The millennial rest, Jesus is judging the people righteously. He's rising up to do judgment. Um, He's gathering his people Every time you see Selah in your Bible, it's dealing with that. And, of course, there's more prophecy in the book of Psalms than in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. So when we're in the Psalms, we've got to be looking past the poetry. And, you know, we don't want to become like Origen 
Remember Origen, his Adamantius Origen, his favorite interpretive principle came from the passage that says, the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And so he didn't care about the words of Scripture. He cared about the spiritual meaning behind them. That's not what we're doing. We're actually believing the words. The words do matter to us. The, uh, the Bible teacher, Chuck Missler, he would always say, um, we don't just take the Bible literally, we take it seriously. That's a good statement, isn't it? We take it seriously. And one of the problems that you have in modern uh, teaching, well, it's not modern teaching, it's been the last hundred years, is that um, trying to go to the original languages to study the etymology or the history of particular words to understand the Bible, that's not how you understand the Bible. That it, it just is not. And I was just reading something this week in Lawrence Vance's book. Um, you know, I'm using that for the textbook for the class, King James, his Bible and its translators. And he has a chapter called um, The Authorized Virgin, Version and the Originals. And he shows how up until the 1800s, the late 1800s, early 1900s, people didn't reference, preachers didn't reference Greek and Hebrew in their sermons. It was very rare for that to happen. It was after the revised version came out when the confidence of people was being intentionally undermined, the confidence of people in their, in their English Bible was being undermined, that this started happening. And so it, it really changed the entire approach of people to the Scriptures. And the other thing that has happened... So, how do we interpret our Bible? Well, we take it literally, right? We, we just believe the words mean what they say, and unless there's figurative language, like and as, we just believe it. The example we always use is Jesus said, I am the door. We looked at that today, but we use that example all the time. He didn't have hinges and a knob, but he is the door. You have to go in through him. So we interpret the Bible literally. But not only do we, inter we interpret the Bible literally, we interpret the Bible dispensationally. So it's very important to understand, every, every, if you believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you believe there are at least two dispensations, Right? Now, of course, we know that there are more than those. But there, there certainly is a distinction between Old Testament truth and New Testament truth. There is New Testament truth that's hidden in the Old Testament, but if the New Testament hadn't been written, you, could, you would never know that it was there. Right? So the old statement is, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And, man, I, I've heard that ever since I was a small child. And the, the older I get, the more I study the Bible, the truer that statement is. So if we were studying the book of Revelation, you can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding the Old Testament. If you're studying the book of Hebrews, you can't understand the book of Hebrews without studying the book of Leviticus. That, that's just the way that the Bible is put together. So we understand the Bible literally. We understand the Bible dispensationally. It has to be rightly divided and in order to do that, you have to know when the New Testament started. The New Testament started with the death of Jesus Christ. If you get those simple things down, then, then you'll have a, a starting point for studying the Bible. The other thing is that you have to study the passages in their context. And that's what we try to do. And then we explain, the, uh, our, our next method is that we explain the Bible by the Bible. When God has said something, you find other places in the Bible where he's talked about that, and you allow that to inform your understanding of the text. 
That, how many of you knew everything that I just said? Seriously, you knew everything I just said. So this is, this is laying our foundation. The next step is, if you, in, in taking the Bible literally, rightly dividing it, um, understanding it dispensationally, taking it seriously, in order to take it seriously, you have to believe the words. And it's more than just studying the doctrines and the principles. It's believing the words. I'm not going to take the time to turn to the passages. You know them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that, that we understand the things about God by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. John 6.62, Jesus said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody unto the Lord in your heart. The cross-reference to that is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You look through the whole thing. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, obey your husbands. Children, obey your parents. It's the same thing. Being filled with the Spirit is being filled with the Word of God. It's not some weird mystical thing where if you pray longer than everybody else, you're going to have more Holy Spirit than everybody else. That's, that's not the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is being filled with the Word of God. And not only with the Word of God, the words of God. So when you study those words and then you start believing those words, you know that my personal testimony is that I, I went to the Lord and you know I, I had gone to... I had been a Bible believer before I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college, I learned Greek, and I came out of college a, a, a TR guy, Texas Receptus guy. And Dalton Robertson asked me one time, he said, Jim, what's your authority? Is your authority that TR or is your authority the Bible? And so, and, and it really convicted me. So I went to the Lord and I, I prayed and I said, God, I will believe every word that you have written. If it's true, if this is the way to study the Bible, will you please open your word to me? And it's like it's like God flipped a switch for me. And now, listen, I'm, I don't think that I am anything compared to anybody else. That's not what I'm saying. But for me, compared to where I was before, it's so fun to look at some of my old sermons and stuff that I said. And I have them all on my computer. I'll pull up one of my old sermons because, you know, I'm getting ready to preach something. I said, I preached that before. Let me look that up. And I go, I said that? Because here's what happened. I got away from my education and started believing the Bible. That's what happened. And it changed everything. It changed everything. Now, much of what I learned, you know, you all know I love my teacher, Keith Kaiser. He came and helped ordain me here with Mark Rasmussen and Dave McCracken and Larry Clayton and my dad. What an amazing thing that was 25 years ago. But um, I love Brother Kaiser. And honestly, I, I could never repay what he taught me at Crown. It just I could never repay it. Um, but I learned some things since then that have changed my life. And believing the very words of God, trusting them, comparing them, it changed everything. And so that's what happens. That's the difference. And when you believe that, that here's here's the last. So I've given you this little list of things to understand the Bible in in, in the context that we're studying tonight. The last thing is, when God says something that's hard to explain, when God says something that's hard to believe, don't explain it away. Believe it. Believe it. 
because there is some really unusual, strange stuff in the Bible. Now, I did some of it this morning. We're going to look at some more tonight. I'm not as good at it as Eric is, but this this will be a weird Sunday night instead of a weird Wednesday. But let's let's look at what the Bible says about this. Psalm 82. So remember, believing the things that we have just said in how to approach the scriptures. Let's read this chapter. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. Remember, we looked at the cross-reference to that this morning. He judgeth among the gods. Now, notice what it says. God standeth. The Bible always talks about God being seated on his throne. Seated on his throne. Why is God standing here? So what commentators will say, in, in making these judges... That God is judging the judges, and what he's doing is the judge will stand to pronounce judgment. That's what they say is happening here. Well, we're going to see if that's ever what happens in the Bible. Is that what happens in the courtroom? I think in some cases it is. Is that what's happening here? We'll find out. We're going to do something, as opposed to to going to Perry Mason, we're going to go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about it. Young people, that was a lawyer show. All right, so, verse 2. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Now, don't forget that the word selah is used 70 times in the book of Psalms. It's used either two or three times in the book of Habakkuk. Every time, it's dealing with the kingdom, selah. Is it a rest? Yes, that's what we call it, the millennial rest. So that's exactly what this is speaking of. All right, that's the time frame for this. Verse 3, defend the poor and fatherless, as we said this morning. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Who's the wicked? Who's the wicked? Hold your place here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. So, am I making a stretch here? No. When does this happen? In the tribulation period. They're under the oppression of the wicked. Jesus Christ comes to establish his kingdom, Selah. And what does he do? He delivers them from the wicked. They all follow me right here? Now, young people, if you'll get this down, write these cross-references in your Bible, you'll understand your Bible better than, than a lot of preachers do. So let's keep going. Back in Psalm 82. Verse 5. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. And, of course, we mentioned that this morning, that's what happened uh, in the deluge that, that, that caused everything to be without form and void. That's what happened in the flood. That's what happened in, that's what will happen in the tribulation. And, but for the elect's sake, except those days be shortened. If you know flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And he shortens them all by a third. Verse 6. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. 
But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And again, we briefly covered that this morning. And here's where I want to land tonight. Verse 1 and verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. So what I want us to do is let's look at at when did these beings die in the flood? How how did they die like men? Does the Bible tell us about that? And then we're going to look at this phrase, arise, O God, arise, O God. So put your ribbon here in Psalm 82. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6. All right, verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Um, Look at verse 7. But the heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Um, so then look at chapter 2 and look at verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now look at this. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making an example uh, unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot... And it goes on and describes all of these things. But notice what it said again in verse 4. He spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down. Now go to Jude, Jude, verse 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation... He hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this is this is an example of these angels that were cast down. Now some of those angels were reserved in darkness. Some of those other angels were cast down to the earth and they roamed the earth with Satan. Now, Satan is not limited to the earth, but apparently these these angelic beings are. And they went in and had relations with women. And they produced these sons of God, these mighty men. These sons of God produced these mighty men, these beings. And God in Psalm 82 calls them gods. Now, look with me at, so it says in verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. 
Let's see what happens when God stands. Let's see what happens when God rises. Psalm chapter 3, third psalm. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. What's that word? So when does God arise? God arises when he returns. When God arises, he arises for judgment. But it's not to pass judgment. It's to execute judgment. So look at chapter 7, Psalm 7 and verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their sakes. Therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. I mean, this, this whole thing, it's all about when God comes to gather his people. When God comes to establish his people in the land. When God comes to judge. That's, that's what happens when God arises. Chapter 9, Psalm 9, look at verse 19. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. How about that? This is what it is when God arises. When God arises, it is for judgment. Chapter 17. And it's not judgment in the, amount, in the act of pronouncing sentence. You know, you're going to go to jail for three weeks. Psalm 17, verse 13. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked. Now look at this, what it says, which is thy sword. What? Isn't that a strange verse? From the wicked? By, by the way, what's repetition in the Bible? It's God's volume control. Have you noticed the word wicked in any of these arise passages? Very interesting. But what is this? What in the world is this? Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. Yeah, there's a devil, but he's God's devil. The Antichrist is God's instrument to bring judgment on the earth. He couldn't do anything if God didn't allow him to do it. He know, he's already told us what he's going to do. He's not sneaking up on God. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Look at uh, chapter 44, Psalm 44. Look at verse 23. How's this for a question? Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Well, that's a bold prayer. How many of you think God is sleeping? The Bible says he never sleeps, he never slumbers. Interesting. Awake. Why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise. Cast us not off forever. 
Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Do you think that's how they're going to feel during the tribulation? Look at the next verse. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Redeem us. What does redeem us? Take us out. Bring us back. Bring us to yourself for thy mercy's sake. Psalm 68. You know, we've studied Psalm 67 many times. Remember, God be merciful unto us and bless us, cause thy face to shine upon us, Selah. Verse 7 of chapter 67, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Chapter 68, verse 1. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him Flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Now, let's let's be clear. Many of these psalms were dealing with things that were going on while the psalmist was writing. Amen? But there is that principle of dual fulfillment in the Bible. There's an immediate fulfillment, but there is clearly, once you have all of the Bible put together, what happens is you start to see that there is a farther out message. There's a more detailed message about what God is going to do. So now go with me back to Psalm 82. Verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. For thou shalt inherit all nations. Go to Matthew chapter 25. Look at what it says in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king, see right now he's not the king. He's not sitting on his throne. The the kingdom hasn't come because the king's not here. Amen. He's seated right now in his father's throne. Is that where he's seated? He doesn't have a throne in heaven. 
He's seated in his father's throne. He's going to come back and have his own throne. That's the theme of the whole Bible. All the holy prophets prophesied about that day is what the Bible says. All right, so now, verse 40, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So what happens is at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus Christ returns, he has the judgment of the nations. And you can trace that word nations all the way through your Bible, and almost all the time it's about this judgment of the nations. When he gathers them, what does he do? He inherits the nations. And some of them go into the kingdom with him. Some of them go into outer darkness. What is the differentiator? Their righteousness? No. No. How'd you treat my brethren? Who are his brethren? The Jews. Israel. God will gather his people back in the land, and then he draws all the nations to fight them. The nations that help them, they go into the kingdom. The nations that hurt them, they go into outer judgment, everlasting punishment. When does that happen? When he arises. When he arises and comes to judge the nations. You know, people will pray, God, arise, God, arise. They don't know what they're asking for. It's like when people, God, send your fire. God, send your fire. You don't want to fire? What, are you crazy? Because when he comes in fire, well, that's when he consumes the world what an amazing book what an amazing book jesus christ jesus christ pointed this out to these pharisees these false judges these sons of their father satan he identifies them with these sons of god that were going to die like men and he says nah, you're not my sheep you're my sheep you'd listen to me you're of your father, the devil. There's two spiritual families, God's family and Satan's family. And they're both entered into by birth. You're born into Satan's family and you're born again into God's family. That's it. That is it. They refuse to be in God's family. And now we have the opportunity to make sure that we are in God's family. Amen? And listen, he's coming back. Look at what's going on in the world. It looks like we're headed to some kind of economic realignment. If they remove the dollar from the petrodollars and Saudi Arabia and these other nations begin trading in, in oil, in other forms of currency, that, that's going to affect our currency. There's so many different things. What, what's going to happen? We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that with all of this mess, someone is going to, ar- to arise Someone is going to show up who can bring everybody together and bring peace to the whole thing. 
and it's not Jesus. But isn't it good news? We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight. And Father, we just want to know what you're saying. We do know this, that Scripture cannot be broken. You're going to arise, and you're going to judge. You're going to judge righteously, and you are going to bruise the head of the wicked. Lord, we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But while we wait for you to come, let us help us win people to you. Lord, the combative spirit that we sometimes have in here from the pulpit, that's not what we need out in the world. They need to know you died for them, that you love them and you want them to be saved. So, Father, I pray, I pray that we'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen.